Good morning. It's good to see each of you here. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, Before we have our scripture reading, again, I appreciate your prayers for Lisa and myself, and especially for Lisa's clients. I know that's been her biggest worry. Uh, You got the uh, letter uh, yesterday, and uh, right now it's about 1.30 Saturday afternoon when we're recording here. And uh, Lisa is feeling much better, and uh, like I said, we're expecting a full recovery and no complications or difficulties uh, we miss y'all. We wish we could be here today, uh, but we also know the Lord's sovereign, and uh, we're certainly in prayer for you. We invite you, if you would, please, to take your copy of the Scriptures and stand with us as we read. Uh, our text today is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we will be reading verses, uh, eight, sorry, verses 8 through 17. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, God is speaking to the prophet Nathan here, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, there's the word seed, Zerah, after you, who shall come from your body, And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you again for this time and this opportunity to look into your word. We thank you, Father, for your graciousness and goodness to us this week. Thank you for your watch care and protection over us and for your provision. And Lord, we we thank you for these that are here today. Father, we're thankful for uh, all those that are making this time possible. And, Lord, we thank you for, uh, for the work of the musicians, for Jubal, Lord, for, for Carl, Donnie, Lord, others that have uh, taken up the slack to be able to, to make this time uh, of worship a time that pleases and honors you. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless. And, Lord, we thank you for uh, each one that's done their part today. And we thank you for, for Larry, Father, doing uh, the, the missions moment and the, the sister church. And, Lord, we're just grateful for the men and women of this church who uh, take the gifts that you've given them and, and use them for your glory. We ask now, Father, your continued blessings upon this time. We pray that you be with those who will be teaching and working with the children. And, Father, that you would give us ears to hear today as we look into your word. We pray your Spirit's uh, presence with us. And, Lord, we pray that we would be attentive and listen to what he has to say for us today. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, and may be seated, and uh, we will dismiss our children 
at this time. On December 10th of 2014, Rabbi, and I hope I pronounced this right, Shumle Botich wrote this, quote, America was born through the rejection of royalty, a, dis- de- a detestation of the divine right of kings, a revulsion at the idea that any man or woman is born superior to their fellows, unquote. Now, the, the occasion of this writing was the royal visit to New York in 2014 of Prince William and his wife Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge. And six years ago when this occurred, New Yorkers went gaga uh, in anticipation of the coming to their city of the future king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Now, before we get hypocritical and begin to roll our eyes at these uh, northeastern Yankees, most, if not all of us, have those whom we consider royalty worthy of our admiration. It might be an athlete, it might be a scholar, it might be an entertainer. It might be a politician. I kind of highly doubt that, but it might be a politician. Uh, It might be a musician. It might be an entrepreneur. Uh, The list could go on and on and on. But yet, regardless of where that person or persons may fall in your list, if that list does exist for you, it does seem that within the DNA of humanity is a desire for the adulation of those whom we consider to be royal. Now, as you recall, the focus upon the promised seed in Genesis 3 and Genesis 12 has become dormant. Uh, There's there's no mention of this idea of seed after Genesis 12. And in fact, the time between Genesis 12 and our text today, ten centuries have come and gone since God revealed that His promised seed would come through the family of Abraham. Now, in that thousand-year period, in the first half of that millennium, from the time of the promise made to Abraham until we read about the promise here made to David, in that first half of that millennium since the promise, Abraham, his wife Sarah, and his son Isaac, uh, over the course of those 500 years, have moved from a family of three to become a confederacy of tribes, those tribes being the descendants of Abraham's great-grandchildren, Jacob or Israel, and they are living in the nation of Egypt. These descendants, who were once considered vital assets by the Egyptian royalty, are now its slaves. But under the leadership of Moses, they experience a deliverance from slavery and they enter into a covenant relationship with Yahweh, not only as His people, but also as His nation. And they begin experiencing, after the 40 years of wandering uh, under the leadership of Joshua, they begin experiencing the initial fulfillment of the land promise given to Abraham some 500 years earlier. In the second half of the millennium, since the promise given to Abraham... Those various tribes have inherited the land and are loosely associated together politically. While they are one nation, there's really no central government. Uh, There's no uh, central federal government. In fact, judges have ruled, and they mainly rule regionally. Judges have ruled regionally, but during the final century of this millennium, the people have clamored for 
and God has given them a king, first Saul and then David, to unite the people and strengthen the nation politically and religiously. So as this millennium closes, the time between the promise made to Abraham and the promise made to David, God reveals more information about this promised seed that the first promise going all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And here's what we find. We find that the seed will be a king. The seed will be a king. And its certainty is guaranteed by means of a covenant which we call the Davidic covenant. So this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the circumstances of the covenant, which is found in verses 1 through 7. We're going to look at the content of the covenant, which is what we read in our text this morning. But then we're going to look at something that happens some about 400 years after this uh, as it relates to the conundrum uh, of the covenant. So in verses 1 through 7, if you, if you look, in your, look in your text again, in verses 1 through 7, there in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see uh, the circumstances that are behind this covenant that we read about in verses 8 through 17. Uh, let's just kind of just make our way through this. We're not going to dive deeply into it, but, but look, at the, look at the story, look at the facts that give us enough background to understand what's happening. In verse 1, uh, look at verse 1. It says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... So we find here that, that David's kingdom has been firmly established. David's, David's not out on the battlefield. David is not having to, to uh, bring the, the, the warring factions between uh, the Saul and uh, Saul's family and, 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 and those who were following him uh, and, and, and those who were following David together. The, the kingdom's been firmly established. It's firmly settled in the hands of David. And, and it's a time of stability as well as a time of tranquility. David is sitting in his house, <clears throat> excuse me, and God has given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. In verses 2 and 3, we're giving insight into David's thoughts. Look at verse 2. Uh, he's speaking here uh, to, to Nathan and explaining the things that have been on his heart, the thoughts that have been on his mind as he expresses these things to, to Nathan, who was the prophet, one of the prophets. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now. I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. For some time David had been considering the blessings that God had provided for him. But not only that, in that culture, uh, if we were to transport ourselves back to that culture and go to the various kingdoms of the ancient Near Eastern world, we would find that the, the grandest, largest, most luxurious house would not be the house of the king. It would be number two. The, most, the, the grandest, luxurious house uh, that would be within that, that capital city <coughs> excuse me, would be the temple that would have been, a, that would have been built to that, to that god, little g, uh, of, of that nation. So as David is there in his house, and he's thinking about uh, in the sense that, that, that if the pagans do this to honor their God, then I need to do something. What, 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 how much more does, does the true God, the God of heaven and earth, deserve to be honored? And so he wants to build the true God a magnificent, magnificent house. And Nathan says, do it. What's ever on your heart, do it. But... In verse 4, something happens. 
Verse 4, it says, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And we're going to find here that God is going to prohibit David from fulfilling his desire of building a temple, of building a house, of building a place of worship that honors God. And God's going to give three reasons. The first reason is found in verses 5 and 6. He says, Go unto my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in tent uh, for my dwelling. And it, it's kind of interesting here in the sense that when, when, we, when you know and, and, and understand the history of, of the dwelling place of God during that time, you remember it was in the tabernacle and the, the priest, they would, uh, they would be moved from place to place. The Levites and the priest would take down the temple. The Ark of the Covenant would be carried on their shoulders, on their shoulders and they would be going from place to place. But, but, but notice what God says here. God says there in, in verse 8, He says, I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. Uh, it wasn't that they were carrying God from place to place. It was that God was carrying them from place to place. And so the, the first reason is, is simply this, that, that there's no pressing need. Uh, God saw no pressing need uh, for, for, for His people to build Him a house. There was, there was no pressing need. Uh, the second, not only was there no pressing need, but God hadn't commanded it. Verse 7, he says, In all the places where I've moved with all the pe people of Israel, did I speak with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God had never given a command. He didn't tell in, during the time of the judges. There was no command given to any of the time of the judges that, that God wanted a house built for him. The third reason is not found in this text, but, but when, when, when the account is talked about uh, in, uh, in, in 1 Chronicles, uh, in 1 Chronicles 22, where we find uh, the, uh, the account of the Davidic covenant, in 1 Chronicles 22, when uh, uh, God is, uh, or, I'm sorry, when David is, is charging Solomon to build the temple, in verse 8 he says, David speaking to Solomon says, But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. So one of the reasons, too, that was given, the third reason, though it's not in this particular text, was that it was inappropriate for a man who had shed so much blood to build a temple for Yahweh. So that's kind of the background of it. David, David in his heart, wants to honor God. Uh, he, he, all, the, all the pagan nations around them honor their gods. And David wants to honor the true God, the God, the Creator, the sovereign Creator of heaven and earth. And he wants to build a house to honor him. And Nathan says, go do it. And then Nathan comes back and says, you know, God doesn't want you to do that. It's not God's desire for you to do that. There, there, there's no pressing need. I've never given a command. And, and you're a man of war. You're a man of war. But God doesn't just shut David down. David's going to get to have a great part eventually in building of the temple. And we're not, that's not uh, germane to our, our message today. But there is a wordplay in this text that is found by examining the content of the covenant. And the wordplay is this. Instead of God allowing... And, and, and the wordplay is around the word house. Instead of God allowing David to honor him by building a house, and in this particular case it's dealing with a house of worship, that God is going to honor David by building him a house. 
And in this case, house has to deal with the idea of a dynasty that would last forever. So instead of God allowing David to honor him by building a house of worship, God is going to honor David by building him a dynasty, a house that would last forever. So, so let's, let's, look at the, let's look at the content here of this covenant that God makes with David. First, God recounts the blessings of the past. Look at verses 8 and the first part of verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. It's pretty plain, pretty simple. God says, when I took you, you were a shepherd boy. You kept sheep. You shepherd sheep. And I brought you from that position of shepherding sheep to be the prince, to be over my people Israel. And not only that, but I'm the one who's made sure that all your enemies cannot prevail against you. So God recounts for him the past. And then beginning in the latter part of verse 9, God makes a fourfold promise to David. Look at the text again. He says, And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. In other words, God is going to give David great fame. He's going to have a great name. And, and now, now think about this, because think put, put that idea of a great name kind of back in your mind, because we're going we're to mention this again here in just a minute. But he's going to give him a great name. David is going to experience fame. David is going to be well-known throughout that part of the world. Not only that, but God has also made a promise regarding a homeland for Israel. Look at verse 10. He says, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be, and be disturbed no more. And be disturbed no more. God is going to provide a place for His people Israel, and He's going to plant them that they may dwell in their own place. So God is giving a promise of a homeland for Israel. A homeland for Israel. But not only that will they be, have a homeland, but they will experience domestic tranquility and security. He says he's going to plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the, uh, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. So let me stop right there. So he's going to give him not only fame, a great name, not only a homeland for Israel but he's also going to give them domestic tranquility and security. It is going to be a safe and peaceful place to live. And then God makes the fourth and final promise, which is a dynasty. Look at the text again. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now here's the word play. God is going to, going to make him a house. When your days are fulfilled... And when you lie down with your fathers, when you, when, you, when you pass away, when you die, I will raise up your Zerah, your seed. Again, it's singular. It's singular, but it also is, is a collective singular. 
I will raise up for you, I will raise up your Zerah, offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Prior to that time, no son had ever followed his father in, in, in the kingdom. Uh, and that's the idea of a dynasty. Saul, Saul's sons don't reign after him. David, God says to David, he says, one of your sons, your, your sons are going to reign after you. And so he promises him a dynasty. Now here's where I want, here's where I want you to notice and bring back this idea of, of, of a great name. The Davidic kingship is being incorporated into, folded into the Abrahamic covenant. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? God says, I'm going to make a great name. I'm going to make, I'm going, I'm going to make uh, out, of, out of you a great name. And, and he's going to give him a land. And he's going to give him a seed. And, and if you notice in this Davidic covenant, God is going to give David a great name. And there's the promise of the land. And there's also the promise of the seed. And so it is full, and it's the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 12 that we looked at last week that, again, deals with this idea of seed. This idea of seed. So it's all tied in together here. It's all tied in together. And, 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 and we also see the dynasty's characteristics. And the, the dynasty's characteristics are, uh, are unpacked in verses 12 through 16. Let's go back to the text again. Look at verse 12. We just read it a minute ago. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So the first characteristic is this, is that a Davidic, Davidic dynasty would occur through David's seed. There's a dynasty that is going to occur and that dynasty is going to occur through David's seed. And again, remember the idea of seed, it can deal with individuals or it can be a collective. So the, 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 the first fulfillment of this was, was Solomon. It was also fulfilled collectively in all the descendants of David that ruled for the next 400 and plus years. Uh, uh, over rather, uh, well, Solomon's son Rehoboam didn't rule over the, the United Kingdom very long. But you had the divided kingdom, but you still have one of David's son ruling on the throne from Jerusalem. But also, as we're going to see eventually, this seed also is going to focus back again to an individual as it relates to Christ. So we had this, that, that the Davidic dynasty is going to occur through David's seed. Uh, look at verses 13 through 15. He shall build a house for my name, the idea of a temple. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Here we see that David's seed would build a house for God. Now, again, there, there's, uh, there's not only a fulfillment that's found in Solomon, there's going to be a fulfillment found in Christ, but David's seed, as David, as David is listening to this, the idea mainly is going to be this idea of Solomon, that David's seed would build a house for God, and if David's son sinned, 
God would discipline him. But he would never remove the right to rule from him. That's as he makes that reference to Saul there. Uh, he says in the middle of verse 15, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. David's son is going to build, David's seed is going to build a house for God. If David's son sins, God is going to discipline him, but he will never remove the right to rule from him. Verse 16 summarizes the covenant. Look at verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. House, kingdom, throne. House, kingdom, throne. Here's the summarization of the covenant. David's house, as in this context is referring to his dynasty. David's dynasty. Then it says here that your, your house, your kingdom, his kingdom, is, who, who's, who is his kingdom? His kingdom are the people of Israel and the land. So David's dynasty, the kingdom, which is a reference to the people of Israel and their land, and his throne which is the, the throne is the representative of authority. It's the right to rule. Whoever sits on the throne is the ruler. He has the right to rule. He has the right to rule. And so David's dynasty, his, his, uh, the people of Israel and their land, his house, his kingdom, and his throne, the right to rule, would remain forever. Would remain forever. But it's important. It's important to note what this covenant doesn't promise. God did not promise that the rule of David's descendants would be without interruption. If they sin, they're going to be judged. But the right to rule is going to be taken away. Now, the right to rule and actually ruling is two different things. You may have the right to rule but not be actually ruling. Uh, you know, you think about some some of the things in, in you know kingdoms in the past is, of world history, and and where uh, you know think about it like in Russia, you know when the czar was removed, uh, the czar and his descendants, uh, the descendants of the czar, I think if I remember right, they killed them all, but uh, uh, you know his descendants would have had the right to rule, but having the right to rule and actually ruling, it's two different things, it's two different things. And so that's the first thing. Also, that the Davidic line would not fail, yet benefits might be withdrawn from individuals. The promise is to David and to his dynasty, to his seed. But that also, that does not guarantee that every individual of David's line is going to experience that benefit. So that's important. And in fact, it's borne out in history. Because when we go some 400 years to the year 586 B.C., after, uh, 400, some 400 years after the promise of the Davidic covenant, we find that there's not going to be a throne. There's not going to be a king. And even though this king has, may have a right to rule, he has no kingdom to rule. He has no throne to sit on. And the prophet Jeremiah 
pronounces a curse which establishes the conundrum of the covenant. Take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah 22. Again, we're at around 586, close to 586 B.C. Uh, the, the, the Babylonians have already, since 606, had control, even though the, the descendants of David are still sitting on a throne. Uh, they are basically puppets. Uh, they're, they're vassal kings uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and let's, let's, look at verses, let's look at verses 24 through 30. Jeremiah 22, verses 24 through 30. As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand. And again, a signet ring is what the kings would use if they had uh, to uh, uh, show their, their seal, to show their approval, to demonstrate that this law was, was to be enacted. They would take the seal off of their, uh, their signet ring off of their finger. They would put it in wherever they were making the impression at. And that was, uh, that was the, the demonstration of, of their power, the demonstration of their authority. So God says this. He says, He says, uh, the, uh, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, wore the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die." But to the land to which they will long to return, there they shall not return. Is this man Coniah a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Write this man, as a reference to Koaniah, down as childless. Now, he already has children, so the idea here is, is, is the fact, and we'll see, it, we'll see it explained as we read the later part, what he means by childless here. Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his, of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. For none of his Zerah shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. The idea of childless has the idea, not that he didn't have any children, not that all his children were killed. The idea is in the sense that he's going to be childless in the fact that none of his children... None of his descendants will ever sit on the throne of David. Now, Conaniah was the grandson of the godly king, the last godly king of Judah, Josiah. But Conaniah was not like his grandpa. Conaniah was a terribly evil king. So much so. And God was so angry with him by, by the wickedness of Conaniah that he sends Jeremiah to pronounce this curse that we just read. And part of the curse was that none of Conaniah's descendants would ever, would ever occupy the throne of David. Let's look at it again. Thus says the Lord, Write this man down as childless, 
a man who shall not succeed in his days. For none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. So here's the conundrum. God had promised some 400 years earlier, God had promised that a descendant of David would permanently occupy the throne of Israel. But God narrowed it down. God further specified that the throne and kingdom would belong to Solomon's house. To Solomon's house. Coniah was the king through whom the line of Solomon was to be perpetuated. Through Coniah. He's a son of Solomon, son of David. And it's through Coniah whom the line of Solomon is to be perpetuated. Yet when Coniah brought upon himself God's curse, it became impossible for any of Solomon's descendants to fulfill that promise. You see, you see, the, you see the conundrum. You see the problem. How can, how could, how would God keep his covenant with David? It's 586 B.C. The nation is no more. The temple is no more. The kingdom is no more. The throne is no more. Remember God says, I'm I'm going to give you a dynasty, a house. I'm going to give you a kingdom. The place where Israel is going to be planted and the people of Israel will dwell safely. and, and, And I'm going to give you a throne. The right to rule. Yet some 400 years later, as a descendant of Solomon, a descendant of David through Solomon, Coniah, Nebuchadnezzar comes, the nation, the temple, there's going to be a king that follows him, but uh, it's, it's not his direct son. The nation, the temple, the throne, and the kingdom is no more. But God has made some promises. A human being will deliver humanity, and he will come from the family of Abraham. Though the wait for this deliverer may be long, his coming is certain. His conception is supernatural. All these things we found out by looking at the Abrahamic covenant last week. His conception is supernatural, and he cannot be conquered by death. And then from today, he has the right to rule, but must also be free from the curse of Coniah to actually rule. So here's where we are in this journey of the sea. From from Genesis 3, the first thing, a human being is going to deliver humanity. The, The seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. 
from the Abrahamic covenant as we learn the relationship between the head of the family, Abraham, and, and the relationship with the seed come those other truths. He's going to come from Abraham's family. Uh, it, 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 it's going to be a long wait, uh, but, but his coming is certain. Uh, the conception is going to be supernatural, and, and he's not going to be able to be conquered by death. And then from today, he must have, or he, he, he has, he has the right to rule, but must also be free from the curse of Coniah to, to actually rule. It's 586 B.C. Years now become decades. Decades become centuries. And still, the promised seed is just that. And only that. It's just a promise still. A promise that seems highly unlikely to ever be fulfilled. Has God forgotten? Has the wickedness of the Davidic kings and the people of Israel nullified the promises of God? The captive Jewish remnant must persevere in faithfulness to Yahweh as they await the arrival of the promised coming king. That's all they have left. Because the nation's gone, the temple's gone, the throne is gone, and the kingdom is gone. And the only thing those who are part of the faithful remnant of Israel have left, all they've got left, is to persevere in faithfulness to Yahweh as they await the arrival of the promised coming King. It's 586 B.C. But let's move forward over two and a half millennia. 2020, and much of the same uncertainty still exists. The nations of this world are in a turmoil. They've been turned upside down. Hardly a nation hasn't, hasn't experienced the, the ramifications of, of COVID. Within our own nation, we're experiencing political upheaval. As far as the temple and religion, Christianity is, 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 is considered by, by some even an enemy. It's, it's, you, you, not, not, not that long ago, it was considered prominent within the culture of our country. And in my lifetime, it kind of went down from being prominent to, to where it being neutral. And now as I get toward the end of my life, Christianity is seen as an enemy to the culture of this country. Those who rule over us, the vast majority of them care very little about the people. They, 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 they do rule. They, they don't serve. They do rule. We are living in difficult days. Difficult days. And a lot of uncertainty. But we have the promise We've experienced the fulfillment of, of the coming of the king, but he didn't come the first time to rule and reign. He didn't come the first time to rule and reign. So the same, the same admonition that 
those who put their faith in Yahweh over two and a half millennia ago is the same admonition that still exists for God's people today. We need to praise and beseech God to enable us to persevere in faithfulness to Him as we await the, the arrival of the promised coming King. He's coming. God's promised. And Lord willing, next week, as we make our way some from where we stopped today around 586 B.C., we're going to jump some almost 600 years and we're going to, to read some passages that are written by the Apostle Paul out of the book of Galatians and probably in a couple of the places of, of the Gospels. And we're going to look how God fulfills His promise that, that He made thousands of years prior to that that a human being will deliver humanity and he'll come from the, from the family of Abraham. That the wait for him may be long, but his coming is certain. His conception will be supernatural and he cannot be conquered by death. And he does have the right to rule. And he's also free from the curse of Koaniah to actually be able to rule. May God help and strengthen us to wait, to, be, to, pers- to, to persevere in our faithfulness as we await the arrival of the promised coming. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for the promises that you give to us. Lord, the fulfillment of those promises are not in our timeline. They don't, are, are, are not fulfilled according to our whims and our desires. But they are fulfilled. Father, we pray that you would help us to be encouraged by those who have proceeded for us, who longingly waited for the arrival of the promised coming King. Lord, may you find us faithful in our generation, in our time, amidst the circumstances that we face as we seek to live out our faith before you. Lord, we pray your blessings upon this time, and Lord, we ask that you would continue to encourage and strengthen us for we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. We do ask that you would take some time to think today. First of all, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? He is the way. Christ is our only hope. He is the God-man who's come and, and lived a life that we could never live pleased God in everything that He said and did and thought, always in His motives as well, and offered up His perfect life as a substitute for my sin and your sin, and took the wrath of God, the wrath of God the Father, the wrath of God the Spirit, and the wrath of God the Son 
upon himself as he paid the price for our sins. Our only hope of reconciliation, our only hope of acceptance by God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Where's your, where, where's your confidence? Where are you placing your trust in? And if your trust and confidence is not in Christ, let me encourage you to turn to Him today. There, there's folks here that, if you've got questions, that can help you and show you. Or you can ask God to save you right now. For those of us who are believers, we live certainly in, in, in interesting times. In interesting times. And we have an opportunity to demonstrate to those around us the value of who God is by honoring Him and our perseverance and faithfulness to Him as we await with joy and eagerness for the promises to be fulfilled. We're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence. And then after a time of silence, uh, we will dismiss our worship today. Let's go to the Lord in a time of silence. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your promises. Pray that you would bless and encourage your people today. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen.